Hey, Soma Midtown, Brandon Shields here. Today is Wednesday, July 1st. And on our podcast today, we're gonna be talking about building trust and repairing trust in relationships. To facilitate that conversation, I've invited a friend of mine, Kristen Nevins, who also happens to be uh, a neighbor, and she works for an organization called Spiritual Leadership. She's a lead coach and consultant with them, and she helps companies and teams navigate conflict and move towards organizational maturity and growth. She's worked a lot with our team here at Soma, me personally, and so I'm excited to to have her on today. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's going to be a two-part series today and tomorrow. Today focused more on what is trust, and then tomorrow focused on how do we actually repair trust when it's been broken. So I hope you enjoy. All right. Hey, Kristen, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and being on our podcast and being willing just to share a little bit about your uh, life and leadership experience with uh, with Soma. We're so glad to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Brandon. So today, what I wanted to talk about, I know you and I have talked about this uh, a lot over the years that we've known each other, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, trust and relationships. And uh, we've had the opportunity on this podcast really to talk about relationships specifically, um, but we I know we live in a time where things are just so, you may think about the global crises we're experiencing with a pandemic and economic crisis, uh, a political crisis, uh, kind of a, a, I guess you could call it just like a social crisis with all the social unrest around race mm-hmm. and class uh, over the last several months. Um, and one of the things I think it's is obvious to everyone, although we may not have the language or the tools to understand or even engage it is, um, I don't know if you would call it like the unraveling of trust, but maybe just more of the exposure of uh, kind of how fragile our trust is. And I think you see yeah. that uh, kind of in um, the way people are kind of posting things online and kind of uh, the dueling experts, you know, that we see yeah. uh, and people's lack of trust in any kind of uh, authority structures, institutions. Uh, I mean, I think uh, trust is like in all the surveys, like at an all-time low mm. uh, when it comes to like our core institutions, even the church, frankly, yeah. um, people have lost trust. But I think more than that, what we feel on a daily basis is just uh, a lack of trust with each other, you know, in mm-hmm. our in our relationships. When you look at different groups of people or different uh, kind of uh, classes or, you know, kind of the, the powerful versus the powerless, I mean, however you kind of want to look at that, even our own families, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like we're just seeing like this uh, exposure of just kind of a really fragile trust between people. And so I, I wanted to dig in because I know you've done a lot of work, you've done a lot of research, you do a lot of coaching in this area. Yeah. And I wanted to just kind of dig in and talk a little bit about what trust is, because I think yeah. it's easy to kind of rail against the loss of trust, but it's sometimes hard to know what exactly is trust. Trust we know is the currency of relationships and it's the currency yeah. of like a healthy and just society. And so I'm curious, just, you know, help us with like just the basic language and kind of an understanding of what is trust um, and why is trust so important in our relationships, in our organizations? Many people listen to this podcast, maybe, you know, leading organizations or leading businesses or part of a team or definitely a part of a family system. Yeah. What is what? How would you define it or just like how would you set up the conversation and why it's important for us to be thinking about building trust or repairing trust when it's been broken? Yeah, those are great questions. Well, first I want to have people kind of think about um, their relationship in the 
kind of the image of concentric circles. So you have the people that you live with that you're closest to, you have family and the people you work with, and then you have our community. Um, and then we have kind of the larger, our na national kind of concentric circle, and then maybe beyond that. And so there's, as people are listening and thinking about trust, I want them to think about it in relation to each of those concentric circles that they relate to. And um, I do think part of the challenge of, of wrestling with trust is not having great language for it. Um, the two people that have given me the best language for this are um, uh, Chip Knighty. Um, he runs Kairos Consulting, and he has great language around trust. His, his definition that I use the most is that trust is confidence, in the character and competence of another person. So confidence in the character and competence of another person. Mm. And the other person that, and I'll unpack that in a second, but the other person that has um, some great language around trust that's been helpful to me, Brene Brown uses the definition that what's important to me can be entrusted to you. Mm -hmm which still really does circle back to that idea of competence and character. And so usually when we're struggling with trust, it's in one of those two realms of we're struggling to trust the competence of a person or a group or an institution. We're, we're wondering, are they good at what they do? Will they come through? Can they keep their promise? Can they, um, if they, say they're going to, um, I'm going to still have a job, can they keep that promise? Or if um, they say they can keep my kids safe at school, can they keep that promise? So that's a competence um, realm of trust. Then we have the character side of trust, which is about integrity. Um, can I trust that what you say is actually true? And um, intention, do you have my best interest in mind? So when you're, when any person is taking an action, are they doing it um, for the best of others or are they doing it for selfish reasons? And so even in just kind of laying all that out, you can see where there can be this minefield of opportunities for trust to get damaged, right, um, in, in one of those two realms. But usually when you ask someone, do you trust that person, um, you'll hear them say some version of, well, I think they're a great person, but I just don't think they're very good at their job. <laughs> or, you know, they're excellent at what they do. I just don't know about them as as a person. And so usually it's something's going on in one or of those two areas. Mm. Yeah, and it seems like it, it's that's good because you, you tend to have an intuitive sense that something's off, maybe like I don't trust them, I don't exactly know why. and disentangling those can be really helpful. Um, obviously, if, if, if somebody has a competency issue, maybe it's a little bit easier to deal with that to build competence versus a yeah. character issue, which could be a, you know, a more deeply rooted pattern. But being able to kind of uh, distinguish between those, I think, could be really helpful. The, the thing it seems like it's really hard for a lot of people is just even to have the conversation that we have trust issues. Um, you know, yeah. going back to Brene Brown stuff, I know she talks about uh, kind of courageous leadership being uh, the willingness to kind of rumble with vulnerability mm -hmm. 
and I love that language, but it seems like it's hard for a lot of families, especially, I think, especially the closer in you are in those concentric circles to even just be able to name the fact that, Hey, I think there's a breach in trust, or I think we've lost trust, or I think we need to have a conversation uh, around trust. Why is, why is trust hard to talk about? And, and why is it though essential to like, you know, being able to work through uh, difficult conversations, uh, whether that be with our family or, you know, our church, maybe our small group, or, you know, as we kind of move out, even as a, like a country, as a society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think in a, in a nutshell, the main reason it's hard to talk about is we don't have a good, um, approach. We don't have a good framework to talk about it and also to see a path toward restoration or healing or rebuilding. And so just everything I've ever worked in, I see a pattern that people don't want to deal with things when they don't know um, the path out. So people don't want to say there's a problem if they don't know how to get toward the solution. And so they'd rather just not name it. And all the more so, especially when it comes to trust in our closest relationships, our family, um, the problem is we feel it, and it still shapes how we interact. <clears throat> and it can actually um, sort of become this sort of snowball that grows and grows and grows because we don't deal with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, I think this is where spiritual practices come in. This is where um, understanding even the Enneagram comes in and starting with, empathy starting with looking at myself I mean Jesus talks about look at the log in my own eye before the speck in somebody else's eye and so in an environment where we're um, stressed where things are intense everything's different everything's hard there's grieving and brokenness on lots of different levels it's it's hard to use the extra energy to look at ourselves and say, how am I contributing to this? Mm. Um, and how do I walk with somebody I care about a lot in a in a careful, measured way instead of just kind of cutting loose on people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, kind of getting into the, the blame cycle. Um, yeah. So you're saying when we kind of acknowledge or uh, begin to sense that there's a breakdown of trust in a relationship, the first step is not, you know, how do I go confront this person about all the things that they've done, you know, to destroy trust uh, or undermine mm-hmm. trust, but maybe it's just a pause and to take a step back and to say, you know, what's, what's happening in me? You know, how yeah. can I, how can I grow in my own awareness of, uh, you know, kind of why, why I'm sensing this or why I'm avoiding this or why I might want to just, you know, throw down on this, uh, mm-hmm. maybe just a pause and yeah. to say what, what's God inviting me to see about myself first. And yeah. I'm curious how you see uh, we, and we've talked about these tools a little bit on uh, this podcast, the Enneagram, you know, kind of how we uh, kind of our grid and our framework for perceiving and processing reality, um, spiritual practices. I mean, how, how um, can these two get like, let's talk about, let's just stop and pause and kind of talk about that for a little bit. How can those tools, how can tools like the Enneagram be helpful to us in understanding uh, our approach to trust and conflict and, and those kinds of things. Sure. Well, I think um, 
starting with self-understanding, when I know about my Enneagram type, I can realize the lies that I might tend to believe, the sin patterns I might tend to get into, um, the the stress behaviors that I might tend to get into. And so um, knowing that about myself helps me notice something is off, but also where I might um, tend to handle things badly. So, you know, specifically, I'm a type nine. And, um, and so I go to six and stress of worrying about um, worst case scenarios and kind of starting to spiral downward that way. And then just my nineness, when I'm not in a healthy place, my default is either passive aggressiveness or checking out, kind of numbing or, um, or merging, just trying to pretend like everything's okay and go along with things. And none of those <laughs> are going to be helpful, <laughs> right? And so to know that and just say, I have to choose something different. I need God's help to do that and to live into better and more of what God wants me to be. But also I need to show up. I need to bring um, the the best of who I am to bring health to a situation. So every type has those defaults that they go into when they're not in a good space. And that, can make things worse and we have to own that um, or it can just prolong an unhealthy situation. <laughs> so mm. I think that's at least a starting point. Yeah. So kind of naming, cause there's kind of what's happening right in the situation of the relationship and then there's how mm. we're responding, how we're interpreting and then responding to those things. And I think yeah. that's where maybe we begin to see if I'm hearing you right, like our own contribution. It's not that yeah. necessarily I did the thing that was the catalyst for the breakdown of trust, but it, I am choosing kind of most of the time unconsciously, right? Because I have yeah. these strategies or I have these ways of responding that are just automatic patterns mm-hmm. um, that can either move me towards somebody and build trust or move me away from somebody and, and create, you know, more distrust or maybe just avoid uh, even wanting to engage in the trust building process. And so just knowing like, okay, you know, I I can sense this thing building or I'm becoming aware of how I'm responding and interpreting and maybe beginning to, what I hear you saying is like almost create a narrative. I'm I'm creating a story that, and then it's not so much that I'm like believing that as I'm living it. Right. And in, in reference to this person, is that a fair assessment of how that process could work yeah and so much of that is initially very unconscious so we just sort of it's the way that we've always tried to cope and function in the world and so you don't even always have language for it and so understanding this language of trust and then kind of bringing that together with um, understanding the insight that the Enneagram brings for ourselves helps us go from sort of unconscious to conscious and aware about these things. And then we want to take the next step, which is to try to understand in a, you know, a generous and open-handed way where we think the other person's coming from, from an Enneagram perspective. So we may or may not know their type, but having an understanding of all the types and maybe having a guess of where they might be, um, helps us in 
um, know where to meet them and how to have empathy for what might be driving their behavior or motivating them. And at minimum, it gives us a starting point to try to get under the surface and not just mm. look at what's coming out on the outside because, mm. I mean, people are afraid, people are angry, people are sad, people are um, disoriented, and all that the behavior that comes from that, it can be really, really harmful. And to have get under the surface and see the um, what might be driving them can hopefully awaken some empathy in us, um, which helps us kind of meet them where they are instead of just being angry at the behavior. Right, and I think the the centers of intelligence stuff can be really helpful um, yeah. to that end, like understanding. Uh, maybe just explain that, but I think. Uh, a little understanding that we all have kind of a, a way of processing, whether that is um, through in our bodies, like more intuitively in our guts, or maybe we're more heart people and more feeling people or uh, more cerebral kind of thinking people. I, I don't know if that's been helpful to you, but just understanding how people process. Because sometimes in conflict, um, we can kind of, maybe somebody's a little bit more of an internal processor, more of a thinker, and we can interpret that as apathy if we're like a gut person who wants to just kind of run towards something and yeah. uh, and and take it head on, uh, maybe an Enneagram 8 versus, a, I think, a, like an Enneagram 5, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in totally different uh, ways of processing. Like, have you seen that in terms of just, um, yeah, just being helpful and, and kind of uh, show, being able to enter in empathetically with others? It definitely um... – it, it definitely is a signal to what's going on under the surface. And um, it helps ask, helps me ask better questions. Um, it helps me help them, um, like, put language to what they're doing because, um, you know, someone who's withdrawing and just voraciously consuming information, like maybe an Enneagram Type 5, um, to be able to name that and say, do you feel like you just don't have enough information? Do you feel like you're struggling to know what to trust? Um, versus someone where you can say, wow, you just ran toward that. and You just like ranted on Facebook for an hour. <laughs> what happened there? You know, what's going mm -hmm. on? Um, to be able to meet them where they are. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, all of this, we're trying to figure out, um, how to how to meet people where they are and understand what's going on under the surface so that we can um, go from whatever story we're believing about mm. them or they might be believing um, about the character and competence of me, of their, you know, their boss, their church, their government, their whatever that circle is that they're wrestling with there's some story they're believing and we need to get to truth and we need to talk about the process of rebuilding. So how mm -hmm. do we get from this broken place, this damaged trust to a path of healing and reconciliation, which mm -hmm. that's God's heart. And that's the invitation. I think of the Christian life is we've been given the ministry, all of us of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And so, our our 
way of being in the world should be um, this process of healing mm. and bringing wholeness. And that is hard, hard work. And it starts with places that are um, painful and that are broken. That's where we start. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and I love this. Um, I think this is where the Enneagram can be really can move us beyond where, how it's kind of used uh, culturally, which is just more of like, hey, this is my type. Um, and that's interesting is, you know, it's more about self-discovery yeah. than it is about healing and transformation. Yeah. So I love the way you're presenting this is understanding yourself, having compassion even for yourself, but also yeah. compassion for other people that moves us towards integration and towards healing and wholeness. And I think that's what I've really appreciated about your work and um, just learning from you really over the last couple of years, how we kind of uh, get traction with um, with this understanding and empathy, I think you've done a really good job of explaining. So I'd love for you just to maybe explain a little bit about what what it is that you typically see that damages trust, um, and then how do we begin to move towards healing once we know there's a problem? Yeah. So I think what damages trust, um, I I see it in kind of three general areas. So um, Either we feel devalued, um, we feel unsupported, or we feel unsafe. And um, and this is, again, another place where we don't always have language. And so we just feel yuck, or we feel hurt, or we feel bad, and we don't, but we don't have more specific words underneath that. And so to be able to say, did I... Um, did I feel devalued? Did I feel used or not seen or not appreciated? Did I feel unsupported? Like you asked me to, you know, put together a presentation, but I didn't have any of the tools to do it. And so I didn't, I didn't have what I needed from you and it put me in a bad position. Did I feel unsafe? And um, I think that's, that's one that's come to the surface more than ever right now mm -hmm. in time of global pandemic. And also um, in a time where we're having to reckon with um, racial injustice that's been um, present for a long, long time is um, there's an unsafety in not knowing if somebody else is carrying a virus that they, they can't see and I can't see. Yeah. There's an, un, you know, a sense of feeling unsafe when I'm wondering um, about my own um, implicit biases that I don't, I didn't even know I had, or um, somebody else is wondering, is this person safe to have a conversation about racial justice issues or that kind of thing? So, mm. um, so devalued, unsupported, and unsafe are typically the three big categories that play out. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really helpful, and it, and it's I've heard you say this too. It's not just things that we do. Um, we tend to think of that in terms of abuse, uh, yeah. but it's also things that we don't do, right? It's it's uh, withdrawing my support or my uh, th those behaviors that you know might help you feel valued or supported. It's not just it's negligence, right? As much as it is like action. Yes, yes, and that is a. It's a really good um, thing to name, Brandon, and it's a big aha for people because sometimes they can't point to something and say, you know, you said this or you um, did this to me, but there's a withdrawing that makes us wonder, 
are you for me? Are you with me? Will you help me? Will you be there if I need you to be? And that um, that's like a more insidious form of damaged trust because mm-hmm. you can't always point to an event. It's like mm-hmm. this slow, um, this slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. And those wounds of absence are harder to see, harder to identify. It's like, you know, that it's there, but you can't, it, it's not like somebody punched you in the face or you know, called you a name. It's more <laughs> exactly. like what they didn't do and how they didn't show up. And yeah. sometimes it takes a lot of reflection to even be able to look back and to see how that impacted you, uh, how that, imp- that, that absence impacted you. Mm-hmm.